1: This is Terrio Media. What to own when the dollar collapses. This is something that's on many people's minds these days as rampant inflation is destroying the purchasing power of Americans' money, seemingly daily. So how do you save yourself should the dollar indeed collapse? Well, I'm going to give you a list of stuff that you probably want to own in the event that it does. You ready? Let's go. Welcome to the all-new Epic Real Estate Investing Show,
0: the longest-running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs, your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, Sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend.
1: If you want to go fast, go to REIace.com. Here's Matt. So since its original rise to prominence in 1971, analysts have been warning of the dollar's impending doom, as many economists tend to think that nothing could ever dislodge the dollar from its preeminent status as the world's currency. More, however, are starting to think that view is overblown and ultimately will be challenged so the dollar could collapse and by the time we're done here you'll know what you should own if it does real estate that's one of those things by the way and if you're still looking to get that first deal under your belt i put together a free training just for you to help you get that first one done and using my funds to do it to boot and you can get it at matsfreetraining.com. so the u.s dollar price isn't just some nebulous concept that only concerns economists It actually has a big effect on our everyday life. And anytime the dollar price weakens or strengthens your paycheck, the price of food and gasoline, interest rates on loans and investments, they're all affected. And most economic experts cite a negligible chance of the dollar collapsing in our lifetime. But what if it does? What should you own so that you don't end up with a bunch of useless paper? Well, I've got a list of 10 things to consider owning. The first one, gold, silver, and other precious metals. You know, precious metals like gold and silver have been used as a form of currency and store of value for centuries. And in times of economic or political turmoil, precious metals are often seen as a safe haven asset. In this idea, however, it's being challenged more and more as symptoms of market manipulation are starting to show. The second thing is foreign currency. And four of the top ones would be the Japanese yen. It's been one of the strongest currencies over the past few years as Japan continues to recover from its debt crisis. The euro is also often seen as a safe bet. This is because the eurozone has been relatively stable compared to other parts of the world. And then there's the Swiss franc. has That's also been, you know, one of the strongest performers over the past few years, thanks largely to Switzerland's status as a stable economy during uncertain times of market turbulence. And then there's the Chinese yuan as it's been steadily on the rise in recent years. Number three, foreign stocks. Investing in foreign stocks could be a very wise move. After all, if the value of the dollar plummets, then the value of foreign stocks is likely, those are likely to go up since they will be priced in stronger currencies. Number four, foreign bonds. When it comes to protecting your portfolio from a potential dollar collapse, there's an option to invest in foreign bonds because they can offer stability and diversification as well as the potential for higher returns. Number five, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. You see, while gold, land, and various commodities propose a physical form of investment, you can diversify your assets by investing in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. You know, mainstream adoption, it's growing by the day despite crypto's massive volatility. But some of the smartest people in the world are predicting cryptocurrencies to be the future of currency. It makes sense to own some. Number six, collectibles. Those can they, they can hold their intrinsic value even when the local currency loses its own value. You know, gold and silver coins, jewelry, artwork, classic cars, and firearms are are recognized to be solid collectible hedges against a collapsed dollar. Number seven, income-producing real estate. It's one of the bigger go-to options that can shield you against the devaluation of the U.S. dollar. And here's why. It's physical. It has utility, and people need it, and it will never be worth zero. So if the value of the dollar completely collapses people will still need shelter and they will pay you for the use of yours with whatever currency takes the dollar's place and number eight land and agricultural commodities when the dollar collapses land and agricultural commodities will be some of the best investments that you can make very much like real estate i mean people need this stuff number nine off the grid living solutions you know a major economic collapse It might require more than just investing in precious metals and foreign currencies. There is a good chance you will need to live off the grid, away from your country's control and infrastructures, like, you know, growing your own food and sourcing water and alternative energy, like solar-powered appliances and tools. And if it comes to that, you will want to own number 10, bartering items. So when the dollar collapses, barter items will become increasingly important. You know, a friend of mine, an admitted and proud doomsdayer is stockpiling Bourbon and bullets. He thinks they'll be as good as money if the country's dollar collapsed. You know, really, anything that would fulfill basic human needs would be great ideas, great things to store. You know, like matches, or fishing line, and hooks, or first aid materials, and blankets, and perhaps a a good stockpile of MREs, meals ready to eat. This is what they fed us in the Marine Corps when we were in the field and They'll store for three to five years, even longer if you can maintain storage of 75 degrees or less. But there's a lot to consider is what I'm trying to get at. Some of these suggestions represent more dire conditions than others. But first and foremost, don't lose sight that diversification is key. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, so to speak. Invest in a variety of assets that will hold their value should the dollar collapse. Another important thing to remember is that timing is everything. If you wait until after the dollar has already collapsed, it will be too late to invest or accumulate these things. So you need to get ahead of the curve and start investing now. The sooner you do, the better position you'll be in when or if the bottom falls out from under the dollar. And with all that said, don't panic. It's it's easy to let fear take over when thinking about such a potentially catastrophic event as a currency collapse. And as I began with, most economic experts see a dollar collapse highly unlikely in our lifetimes, but it's possible. If nothing else. Income producing real estate will put you in a good position should all hell break loose. And if you like some help, I've got some free information to help you get started. Go to cashflowsavvy.com, grab the free investor packet there, and if it makes sense, pick a time to hop on the phone to discuss the next best move for you.
0: Thanks for sitting tight while we pay our light bill. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> ever hear someone say i have too much money me neither
1: let's get you some more back to the show today we're going to talk about the shifting market i mean there's so much happening there's major shifts in just the last couple of weeks and and more stuff incredible stuff just in the last 24 hours is this even a good time to be looking at real estate because that's the big question on everyone's mind could there be something better out there Right now, I'm going to look at this market from a different angle, specifically when it comes to deals, when it comes to money, and the mindset to win in this shifting market, because it's going to take a different mindset. And I've invited a new friend of mine to chime in as he's discussing these subjects. He's been discussing these subjects for a while, and uh he's going to be sounding off here today about the real estate craziness. So please help me welcome Mr. Henry Washington to the show. Henry, Welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing, sir. Hey, thank you for having me. This is fun. Let's do it. You bet. And really we haven't even started yet and you're having fun. So this is fantastic. Yeah, man. I've been sitting here listening. All right. Good, good. Well, I'm glad you made it. This is our first time meeting. We have a mutual friend that said we had to connect. And so I'm glad we're here. So tell me a little about yourself. What's your history? What's your background? And how uh, did you end up here?
0: Oh, man. So I, I would call myself a buying hole investor. I started 2017. Um, really out of panic, realized, uh, after working corporate for a while that I, uh, I didn't have any money. <laughs> and so, uh, I got married and, um, was looking for a way to supplement some retirement, uh, build wealth for my family. And what happened was the wife wanted things that I couldn't provide. And, um, and I was like, well, I need to start making some changes. So, uh, long story short, found real estate through Googling after having a panic attack one night and said, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to do this real estate thing. It seems like people are figuring it out. If they can, I can too, and bought my first house, like 90 days after having a panic attack, which was late 2017. And then after I bought that first deal, I basically used monopoly money to buy it and leverage my 401k for the day bought a house that was cash flowing, had a pr- equity in it. Then the bank called me and said, Hey, do you want to take out a loan? against that equity so You can bring us more deals like that. And I was like, well, yes, yes I do. And so I, uh, uh you know, I went from a panic attack about money to like having a cash flowing asset, pass just like 25 grand to go buy more in like 90 days. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a strategy I need to supplement my retirement with. This is a strategy I need to use to retire now. And so, All right. And so we we've been going big ever since then. And so, almost five years in now, we've got about seven stores uh, from a rental perspective. We flip about houses, two houses a year, Um, and that's uh, essentially what my business look, looks like. I'm small, small multis and single foils mostly, and uh, family business man.
1: Awesome man. ask are you still with the wife? Did she hang out and for- stick with you? Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. We were. T- I retired her uh, about a year ago. Okay. I retired right before her. So now we do this full time. And, you know, I started coaching and teaching and then uh, was blessed to be asked to be a, a co host on the Bigger Pockets podcast. So I co host with them oh, <sighs> from time to time. So I get to do all kinds of cool stuff now because I had a panic attack and decided to buy a house.
1: Sweet. Yeah. I know I had asked that question because when I got out of the music business and that money stopped flowing. And then we had to file bankruptcy the wife didn't appreciate that so she took off so i was unable to keep mine until i yeah. i got my figure <laughs> out a little bit too late uh, but i found a better one so it always oh, really good, good yeah absolutely uh super and then uh even said something right there. this i resonate with um the panic attack thing you know is it is a even like to some degree every once in a while you know as an entrepreneur it could be a, a lonely business there's a lot of you know we get a lot of freedom we get to be our own boss we make good money but a lot of stresses and and stuff comes along with that too, and so I want to talk about that as we go into the shifting markets. I think that might be impacting some people. Absolutely. But thanks for sharing. Thanks for being here. So I, I went I went through and did a little bit of research before we got to meet. Oh. And I saw that that you bid. I think you got your own podcast, and you've got uh, you've been a guest on several. And I looked uh, others. So I looked at all these different subjects that you're talking about. And so one thing was deals, finding off market deals. Yep. Before we talk about the deals. What is your view of the market right now? I mean, because a lot has changed just in the last 24, 48 hours, and it was already changing a couple weeks before that. So what do you see?
0: Yeah, man, uh real estate's cyclical. It's always been cyclical. What we're seeing now isn't really, maybe just things that are driving what we're seeing now is new, but uh, real estate's always been cyclical. You're either going to be in a, in a in a market where deals are hard to find, but it's easy to get money or where deals are easy to find, but it's hard to get money. And we've been, over the past, you know, three months or so, we've been shifting from one to the other. So now it's starting to become a, a, an environment where traditional banks and even small local lenders are starting to tighten up. You know, they've still got some 2008 PTSD. And so they're starting to, they're starting to tighten up with some money, money. You know, even, you know, hard money lenders, private lenders are all just watching and starting to tighten up just a little bit. And so money's getting harder to find. But deals, deals are becoming more prevalent. You know, mm-hmm. um, as a, as an investor, we're in the market of buying deals, uh, buying situations. Right? We buy situations that tend to have houses tied to them. Um, and so, you know, it doesn't matter if I, if the market's hot, cold. There's always going to be people who need to sell, not want to sell. When the financial landscape is more treacherous uh, for people, then that creates even more "quote unquote" situations, and so deals become more prevalent. And so. You know, I'm starting to get more calls of people saying, "Hey, can you buy my home?" Versus, you know, a year ago, I had to go make all those calls. Um, that just means there's more situations, um, and we're we're trying to get proactive around how do we position ourselves from a dollars money standpoint, access to capital standpoint, so that if if traditional lending, because I typically use small local banks to fund most of my deals, and so they, my banks are still lending, they're just requiring more from uh, the borrower than they typically would. So there's some things working in our favor, right? And that is that even though supply is increasing week over week in my market, especially, uh, there's still not enough supply to meet demand. I'm fortunate enough to be in in an area of the country that is growing substantially. And so even if supply is increasing, so are the number of people who are moving here every day. And so I'm in a situation where. Um, real estate prices are really coming down. Days on market is increasing, right? Um, but things are still selling. I'm still selling things. I'm just not selling them in like one day with 14, you know, above asking price offers anymore. <laughs> and so what I'm seeing in my local market is that you need to prepare yourself by getting access to capital because the deals are coming um, and you want to be able to continue to buy. And And yes, even if prices come down a little bit, as these situations are more prevalent, that means your entry prices can be lower. And so even though I was selling extremely high before, because the market was allowing me to, as people were paying for it, now people may not pay as much, but I also paid less for that property. So my, my profit doesn't really shift much. So
1: um, pre- prepare yourself by finding access to money as well. Perfect. So what you're also saying though, is, you know, you might have to Reevaluate how you are comping out your deals. That's fair, nice. right? So if the, if the money is harder to find, then that means you got to find better deals yep. to where that money isn't so nervous. Yes, right. So exactly. As as I'm seeing right now, and that's kind of what I'll, I'll be touching on a little bit later. But um, I'm I'm really talking about this with all of my students that you know you have if we just took like the traditional vanilla wholesaling quick and dirty math formula, right? You multiply by 70%, you subtract your repairs, you subtract your profit, and then you kind of have your cash offer. But you're starting with that after repair value number and you're starting. That's today's number. But if you're going to be doing the fixing and flipping yourself or you're going to be selling it to a fix and flipper, you really have to kind of project what's that after repair value going to be two months, three months, four months from now, because that could be a very different number if the trend that we're seeing right now continues. So you are going to have to buy your deals deeper, right? Absolutely. So you got to get really good at at the comps is what I'm seeing and finding it kind of shifting your definition of what's a deal. Because if if we messed it up six months ago, the market saved us and we're still able to save it and we look like a genius, right? Yeah. Now we got to be real real estate investors again. And we have to really understand the numbers and how that all works. Um, so with the deals, you know, you, you say your, your phone is starting to ring a little bit more full of some incoming. Um, inquiries, and we certainly just saw that last 48 hours here 72 hours. People that said no to us just two weeks ago, mm-hmm. all of a sudden said, Wait a minute, wait a minute, how, how did that seller financing thing work again? Right? right. It, <laughs> it, it, right. <laughs> so, what's your main resource? What's the main <laughs> pool that you're you're fishing in for your deal right
0: now? Yeah. Um, so, we do direct marketing at Coke It's typically okay. what we're doing. Um, I have marketing. Mm. And so I just really focus on finding people with equity, um, that have the footprint size house and or multifamily that I'm looking for. And I, I don't really filter for much motivation anymore because I found that I can afford to, to cast a wider net. And, uh, if I cast a wider net, then I find all kinds of deals in different situations. i bought properties that needed absolutely no renovation and that work in really good neighborhoods that were built in the 2000s, 2010s, right? And those are properties that would have filtered out of my search before. But now uh, I just sold one that I bought that kind of fit that criteria. And so what I found is that in my market, if they have equity, I want to send marketing. What kind of offer makes sense for them?
1: All right. What market are you in, by the way? I'm in Northwest Arkansas. Northwest Arkansas, okay. Um, And you just sound like you're you're not really fishing for motivation right now. How is that turning into a deal for you? If there's not like a, a seller that needs to sell, is it just the numbers work out in your market or is there something else I'm missing?
0: No, no, you're not missing it. Um, we're
1: not filtering for motivation, but the people I'm buying
0: from have motivation.
1: Ah, got it. So you're marketing, your initial screening of who you're sending to, who you're calling, you're not filtering for motivation. You're just calling Correct. for equity. It's called for equity. Um, okay. because when I was fishing for certain
0: motivation. I felt like I was leaving deals on the table for maybe other types of motivation that weren't in my search. And so instead of trying to get super fancy with all the different types of motivation, I just broadened my search in general. If you've got equity and your property is a footprint size type that I feel like I would like to buy, because obviously those, those, you know, first time home buyer type homes are the, are the ones with the most buyers, right? If you're going to flip a property. And even if you're going to rent, those are the ones that people like to rent. And so if your property fits that footprint and you've got a decent amount of equity, um, then you're, you're
1: probably hearing from me. Right. And I would imagine that's probably going to be even more effective now because people that interact or come up to a a situation where they find themselves where they need to sell. Right. Absolutely. Um, The things that are causing them to need to sell, which are the traditional things we look for when we're trying to filter for motivation. Those things haven't hit databases yet. Yep is that is that what you're finding? So that's
0: starting yeah, to make- uh, 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 yeah. We're we're starting to see people that maybe we talked to a while back are getting back a hold of us, or just by reputation alone, being somebody that buys uh, distressed properties or situations. Like I'm getting people that are reaching out to me and saying, "Hey, like my title. La- I just bought a deal last week that my title company." sent to me because they heard that someone might want to sell their property. And it was a property, again, built fairly recently, all brick, great, great property, clean on the inside. They just wanted out and they wanted it out quick. And so Mm -hmm. we bought Mm -hmm. that. I'm changing some light fixtures. I threw some carpet in a couple of bedrooms and we're sticking it
1: back on the market, like it's just the situations are there. Sweet. So the, um, broader net, right. Traditional marketing channels. And it's just bringing in more opportunity just by nature yeah. of the of what's happened, right? Yeah.
0: Now, you no, know, if you're brand new, I don't recommend just starting with such a broad net. It's expensive. Like marketing to a broader audience is going to cost you more. I think you okay. should you should niche down if you are just starting out. But I've I've been in you know five five years in the business, with do multiple deals. I'd much rather just cast a wide net at this point.
1: Yeah, it's the it's the best way. If, yeah. like you're saying, if you got the means, right? Yeah. Super. All right, so. Deals, nothing really changing there, but expect a whole lot more opportunity if you could just stay consistent with what you've been doing. Um, second thing would be money because yep. money's getting more and more expensive. Right? Yep. And Absolutely. so, um, you say you're working with banks at any other sources of money? Yeah. Um, you know, the, we started, I started to
0: look for some private money options, maybe about six to eight months ago, we started looking and so. We brought on uh, a private money lender that uh, we tested out a couple of deals with earlier on. So even though I could have got pretty favorable financing from a bank, I wanted to test financing some private money with this guy to build some trust so that if, if the environment changes that, you know, he and I have some history. And so luckily that, that we, we took that approach, you know, we weren't, the whispers weren't as loud as they are now back then. So. I'm not saying I'm some genius who started to do that. It just kind of all fell into place at the right time. So now we're working, we've got a private lender we do some deals with. I still use the small local banks for certain deals. Um, I've got relationships with a couple of hard money lenders. I haven't done a deal with them, but we've had the conversations So if I need to shift, I can shift over to using them. And then we've also been leveraging lines of credit, both secured and unsecured. So one of the Benefits right now is that yes, the market is shifting, but in a lot of areas of the country, the the values of property haven't come down much, if any, from where they were three, four, five months ago, right? And so, if you've got a property that's got equity in it because you owned it before this crazy, you know, spiking prices happened, you it's still a good time to be able to look at leveraging. Uh, a HELOC and get a and get a line of credit against that equity, just in preparation for right. as you're searching for properties later. Because the, the beauty mm-hmm. of a HELOC is you don't pay anything unless you use some of the money. And so mm-hmm. just just having access to it doesn't cost you anything but the closing costs for that for that HELOC. And then you've given yourself some buying power um, for deals as they come along later. And so you could still get favorable appraisals on these properties because values haven't come down or haven't come down much in certain ways. And interest rates are still, I know people, they have doubled from where they were, but they were like crazy low like we've never seen before. And yeah. so going from three to six,
1: like it's still six.
0: It's not <laughs> that big of a deal, y'all.
1: Here's the other thing where, where I think um, people are getting a little bit concerned about the interest rates that it might be misguided or misdirected uh, attention that there's very few times in history where the interest rates are lower than the inflation rate. That's right. Very few times. And is, you know, we have our interest rates have doubled, but our inflation rate is quadrupled (laughs) as of this morning. We're at (laughs) 9.1, you're borrowing money at six. That's a net negative 3% you're getting paid to borrow money. Yeah, man. there's not a better I mean you have to take advantage of this opportunity um so I' don't know, I'll teach the choir I know no but, no yeah. I
0: just I say it say it again for the people in the back man I just it's, it's I get excited winning, on the man. stats
1: and they start geeking out the, on the economics and you know when I was a younger investor I was just like it was all about the flip and how much cash could I put in and then I started to really understand how wealth is created and how the economy works and how you want to be on the right side of the economy Dude. you know the, the powers People that be are freaking out are they're they're telling like, you that look at the, the cost of, or the, uh, the wage increase has gone up 3% yeah. here, 5% there. And I'm like, but it, inflation is 8%. You're still losing, right? right? <laughs> but if you own real estate, you're way ahead, regardless it's, of what you're paying the salary.
0: It's the best hedge and yeah, inflation sucks. I get it. Right. And I, I just, the argument that kills me is that like interest rates are too high. I shouldn't buy real estate, right? Within perspective, 6% is still pretty cheap for money. And you get to lock that in for 30 years. Our parents, my parents paid like 12, 13%. So, like, yeah. chill out. It's not that bad. And then, video, mm-hmm. like, half the people that are saying that have like a MasterCard that they're paying 25% interest on, like without blinking. So, I don't want to hear it.
1: <laughs> right. Right. It, you know, as you look at the, what the interest rates are doing to the affordability index, right? It's it's pushing some buyers out of the market. Um, I just saw something that said that the the number of cancellations of contracts is is increasing because you know rates are changing in the middle of their contract. Yeah, but if you like what you said earlier, like th- the supply is not going to have some significant boom to where it meets the demand. We've got many more people than we have housing right now, and and uh, one of the stats I always point out to is you know we're that the peak age of the baby boomers is 29 years old and the average first time home buyer age is 31. That means over the next 24 months, we have more demand for housing than we've ever had in the history of the country. Right? Absolutely. And so when we're also operating with this 10 year deficit on the supply, like the building has been so contracted for the last 10 years. My point being, there's a long story, but my point being is, as the affordability pushes people out, well, we have to many. they still got to live somewhere. Yes. So they're going to go rent, right? And so I can really see this whole bidding war thing move from the, the sales market over to the rental market because they need a roof over their head. And Already so started. This is the time where you want to have investment property, right?
0: Absolutely. If there was,
1: I mean, in my eyes,
0: there's always a the time to buy. It's just a matter of what you buy and how you buy it that changes, right? Sure. Um And you're you're 100% right. We just put a duplex on the market that I would say is, so we had a tenant in it, but a tenant in one side, and then we had, we had rented one side out. So we rented one for 1200 and it might've took me like three weeks. I didn't get very many inquiries. Well, we had both sides available right now and we listed it for 12 again. And I couldn't like the, the amount of emails that I was getting and requests Mm -hmm. was insane. And I was just like, okay, so I've clearly underpriced this. Right? Like, it's just nuts, like the demand for rent right now because of exactly what you're talking about. And it's going to continue to go up because rents always follow Chrysler and they're a little behind it. So, um, you know, you've got landlords who are locked into leases right now who have had a chance to raise rents yet. Those leases are coming due. And if they have to do a renovation on that property or even just a light renovation, fixing it up. Materials cost more labor costs more now than it used to. If they've got to put more money into it. You better believe it. So if you can get your hands on something, man, the hell's it. now is the time.
1: And I appreciate it. I'm I'm always looking for people to come on the show that I disagree with, but it's, <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know,
1: <laughs> um, so part, I mean, we're totally aligned with them. The, uh, so going into this new market and I have a unique perspective and you probably do too as a coach, right? That, you know, you're out and you're, you're buying deals and you're selling deals. We have a turnkey operation. So we kind of have a different type of consumer there that's coming in the busy professional, the doctors, the lawyers, the, the, you know, just the people that got jobs and too busy to go out and do it themselves. And then I also got people that come in and want to learn how to do it themselves. And so I'm getting kind of the, the, a picture, a grasp of the mindset. And there's a lot of, even though, there's a lot of people listening right now that would probably agree with us and, and don't really doubt us. But when it comes time to actually take the action, there's still a lot of nervousness. There's yeah. still a little bit scared. There's a little uncertainty. Right. So as we go in, I'm I'm trying to like share with people like, this is the time you really want to start buying. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the last three, four years when they're all riding high and hide, everything and everybody wants in, it's like that might not have been the best time. Right. Now it could be a much better time as the deals become better and, and now it's I don't know, buy low, you sell high. Right. And that's the goal. so This is when the time you want to get in. Um, what is the right mindset? What, how are you talking to people? How are you can not necessarily convincing them, but how are you getting prepared to, for what's coming?
0: Yeah, man. So so for me, it all starts with, for me, it all starts with a decision, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, Genuinely making the decision in your mind and in your heart that you are going to be a successful real estate investor, right? No caveats. No, I'm going to be a great investor in this market or in a down market or up market or in six months. No, I will be a successful real estate investor. I will buy a property next three to six months. If you write that down every day, say that every day, you will, you will have to worry less about the how, because and, and, the how is what's scary. It's what's scaring people. It's what's keeping people from, from jumping in because they understand the market conditions are, you know, changing. They're different. They're scary, right? There's a war, there's inflation. There's all these things that are scaring people as there's, there's a, there's a, you know, a pandemic still, like there's all these things that are scaring people. And they want to know how, how can I do all this, giving all these things? And the answer is, there's no perfect answer, right? Mm-hmm. But if you tell yourself, I will be a successful real estate investor, you decide, you make a decision, you break down the word decide, right? The suffix of that word is "side," which means to kill off, which means there's no other option. You're doing it. And when you tell your brain that, you're programming your brain to go and figure out how, right? And the way it does that is because now that you've decided you're going to do it, right? Everything you listen to sounds different. Everything mm-hmm. you see looks different because your brain is trying to figure it out, right? And so maybe you listen to this show and you go, oh, Henry talked about small banks. That might be the perfect strategy. Let me go call a couple of small banks and see mm-hmm. what kind of loan terms they have. And maybe it's perfect. Maybe it's not, right? Maybe you're, you're reading a book and something jumps off the page. It goes, Oh, that's, that's the perfect way for me to get into it in life. Right. But you've got to program your brain to start listening for those things. Right. And it's all a big mindset, like trick that you need to do to to tell yourself, right? Quit trying to like line up all the pieces and just decide you were going to be a successful real estate investor. And it's, uh, you know, I forget what they call it, but it's the, you know, it's the red truck theory right? Like, if you want to buy a red truck and you don't ever see a red truck on the road, I promise you the day after you get a red truck, every yeah. other truck yeah. you see is going to be a red truck. There's no
1: more red trucks today than there was yesterday. Your brain's just programmed to find them. Right, right? That's your uh, reticular activator. There, there you go. Yeah. Part of the brain that's responsible yeah. for awareness. So train
0: <laughs> your flux capacitor to look for red trucks. Your flux
1: <laughs> <capacitor>. <laughs> Sweet. Well, so... How is your business changing? Or are you changing anything? You're just staying in the course. What, what are you doing to prepare? Or are you just yep. like, same thing? Business yeah. Digital? So,
0: so we've talked a little about it. So how I'm finding deals, not changing. That's never changing. Um, how I'm funding deals, that's going to change. Right? Because it's dependent on somebody else making the decision. I can say I want to use bank money all day long. If a bank says I don't want to give any money, I can't. Right? So, so we're doing exactly kind of what we talked about earlier. So I am lining up. Secured and unsecured lines of credit. There are tons of small banks out there and they can be small on a scale of just local to your town, small on a scale of a region of the country, right? Look for banks with like 3 billion or less in total assets and call them and see if they, A, do commercial loans for investment properties and what their typical loan terms are. And B, do they do unsecured lines of credit? Some banks are still doing that. I just got uh, access to a hundred, a hundred thousand dollar line of credit through a regional bank. Mm-hmm. No docs, mm-hmm. unsecured. I just had to provide them my my articles of organization and some answer some questions about my business, and they gave me access to a hundred thousand dollars, which I can use mm-hmm. to invest if I choose. I don't have to pay interest on that money unless I use some of that money, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're stacking up money in the event that traditional lending dries up if it doesn't and I could keep using my bread and butter investment strategy then I'll do that but mm-hmm. if not then I, I I have some other options and so we've got a couple we're preparing unsecured lines of credit we're preparing secured lines of credit we're using we're working with you know business lines of credit um, to be able to leverage um, well, using your business credit so that the debt to income doesn't affect my personal credit but I still have access to the funds and mm-hmm. then as deals come up that are just can't miss i need to buy this deal i need to do it quick and these banks aren't moving quick right now because they're scared and they want to underwrite the crap out of everything and it's gonna you know they want you know urine samples and blood types and all these things to verify the numbers and you might just need to close on something quick because situations typically require you to close quick and to pay cash sometimes and so uh, we're just preparing for that and it's a good time to do it because we haven't fully hit this, this kind of spot where the banks are just going to say, it's just, it, it's going to be really hard for you guys to get money guys right now. They're still right.
1: I think there's one thing when people come into real estate and, and there's a lot of people that want to get started and they think money is their biggest barrier. That's the biggest hurdle. Like if I just had the money, I would go out and do this. And I think what, what people fail to realize is there's another side of this business. The people that got the money, they're like, I wish I, I wish I could find more people that had better deals that I could give my money to. Yes. Right. So it's maybe money is tightening up. Maybe. Um, It's certainly getting more expensive and incrementally, but it's moving kind of quickly. Um, But still, if they can't find someone to give their money to, they go out of business. They don't, they don't want to not give you money. They have to lend. Yes, they have to lend. They get up every day and they, they kiss their spouse goodbye and go off to the, to the, their little lending store. Yeah. Like, gosh, I hope somebody calls me today that's got a deal that I can give my money to.
0: <laughs> they have that's to right? lend. Absolutely. Deal flow. Uh, those are the two big problems. If you can solve both of those
1: problems, you can write your own ticket mm-hmm. deal mm-hmm. flow and money flow. Yep. And I, th- I really believe that in today's market where supply and demand is so lopsided, the person that has the deal under contract actually has more control and more power in the transaction than the money person. That's right. Yeah, that's and right. The-
0: Absolutely. So the exact reason that you said is that like, especially the, the smaller banks, that's why I, I, I talk so much about them because like they got to lend to small businesses to, to stay in business yep. and yes, they might tighten up, but if they tighten up too much, where are they going to make money? How are they going to provide a return? Right, so finding continuing to build those relationships, and if you can bring a good deal, like it doesn't matter if the market's crazy. If they go, well, you're wanting us to lend on something, that you're buying for two hundred thousand, that we clearly believe is worth four thousand, we're probably going to lend to you because if you if you give up that that loan and you don't make your payments, and they take control of that asset, they'll make way more money selling that than they ever put off your interest
1: payments. Right, right, for sure. Henry, it's been a pleasure. If people wanted to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do that?
0: Hey, thank you, man. Yeah, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. I'm at the Henry Washington. On Instagram, or just check out my website, henrywashington.com. You are the Henry Washington. By Henry Washington.
1: Oh gosh, I've been talking to the wrong guy the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. It was, it was nice meeting you and gosh, I wish I was on Instagram still. They kicked me off and I still have no clue as to why this thing to this day. Oh well. Anyway, enjoy over there, Henry. And uh, we'll talk again. And thanks for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You bet. Take care. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Therrio, Living oh. the dream.